Another Rotten Rewind, a podcast that scrapes the bottom of the Rotten Tomatoes barrel, paying tribute to the most critically maligned films we can find. If a movie can't crack this 60% threshold on RottenTomatoes.com, it's fair game for us to discuss here. I'm Courtney Peranto. 60% feels high sometimes. Sometimes it does. <laughs> As somebody who got a lot of 60% in school, I mean, I... I, it's making me feel a lot worse about things. <laughs> like, wait, 60%? Hold on. I thought that was, I thought that was passable. No, it's, no, it's bad. It's totally not passable at all. Mostly in math class. Um, I'm Max Rue, and I don't know math, and I didn't finish high school, and that's why I'm hosting a podcast. So, uh, <laughs> I went to way too much school, and I'm hosting I a know, podcast. I know. We're, we're a shining example of it doesn't really matter what you do in life, because... <laughs> You Your still cards might are already dealt for you. Mid thirty year old waitress. <laughs> <laughs> I was a retired server, and they pulled me back out. Just Same. when I thought I was out, they pulled me back. They pulled in. me back in. <laughs> God damn it! This week on the show, we're we're celebrating the, the this weekend's Academy Awards. By I can't back, believe that it's actually. It's just, it's like the least exciting Oscar season it's the, ever. It's uh, the Oscar season that will never end. It started True. in uh, March of last year, and it just hasn't fucking ended. It's it, even though there's actually, I would no, say I, there's actually better than usual movies nominated. Yeah, that wasn't my criticism. I just don't think that there's like the fun fanfare around it. Like usually yeah. my dad hosts my, because my dad's Oscar part, party is canceled. Um, usually he hosts like a big Oscar party. There's usually like more fanfare, even like even like some more ups, upsets. Like I don't really feel like people feel like anyone got short shrifted. I feel like the big Oscar conversation this year is Lakeith getting nominated for best supporting actor. I feel like that's like the biggest, like, Ooh, two, there's no two actors that are leads nominated both in supporting. Yeah. It was very, yeah. Weird. And I think I that it. a lot of the movies that I'm excited <laughs> about that are nominated this year, i.e., uh, the Sound of Metal and Minari. Like, even though I had only recently seen them in the last two or three months, I had seen stills of them forever. So it just... I mean, Sound of Metal, I saw Sound of Metal in 2019 at Toronto when it premiered. And I was like, I, I was extremely sick when I saw it. It was the last movie I saw there. And you were going to say sick or stoned, and I didn't I was know. so sick. I was, and, oh God, I was miserable. Uh, <laughs> I was miserable. So I was really happy that I got to, because I remember liking it, and I, but I was just like, yeah, it was good, good acting, you know, whatever. And then like, I saw it again, luckily, you know, recently when it came out and I was like, oh, this is actually really great. I was just really sick when I saw it. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but Riz Ahmed and Anthony Hopkins give way better performances than Chadwick Boseman. Riz Ahmed, I would just love, I mean, that's what's cool about the Oscars this year is that like, I don't really think, I think that The Sound of Metal would have done well no matter what critically, obviously, but I don't know if he would have been an Oscar nominee in another year and I think that's cool and he's fucking hot and can get it. I think and, he, I think he would have really? been. I don't think Paul Racy would have been who is incredible and is actually a supporting performance. Um, yeah, yeah. That should win if, you know, even though Daniel Kaluuya is incredible and, you know, obviously deserves it. But yeah, I just don't really. I don't even know who the fuck is hosting this year. There is no host, but Steven oh, Soderbergh's yeah. producing it. Which is okay. a whole lot of weird shit. Like, is he producing it in like his Ocean's Eleven hat or is he producing it with like. It's probably going to be in his Ocean's Eleven. I hope it's in his girlfriend experience mode. Yeah, or Unsane. I think it should be an Unsane mode, <laughs> personally, no. after, after the last year. Uh, he should shoot the whole thing on an iPhone. The whole thing should just be on an iPhone, which is not too far off from a Zoom screen, which apparently no. are not allowed. Yeah, I heard that. We'll see. We'll see what happens out there. This week, though, we're mm. talking about two movies that have zero 
Academy Award nominations. Uh, we're going to be looking back on a pair. Looking back is a generous term for the one of the films. Uh, <laughs> but uh, looking back two months. Uh, yeah, one of them, we're ha- like, it should be happy that we're looking at it. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're looking back on a pair of hard-hitting prestige plays that failed to capture the hearts of Oscar voters and critics alike. Both films feature up-and-coming teen heartthrobs shedding their child actor image by fulfilling the young actor rite of passage by playing a drug addict, which means... <laughs> It's a lot of big emotional scenes, seemingly engineered to play as the real for when they say your name at the Oscars. I think mm. that's, you know, I, I don't know. I, it does kind of feel like a rite of passage for, 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 you know, white young male actors. I mean, even some girls, I think. But yeah, definitely white dudes. Well, I feel like guys, it's like you're going to be a drug addict or you're going to do like what Pattinson does in Good Time. And for mm-hmm. a woman, it's like, can you get naked? Can you get naked? Yeah, yeah I think that's right. Um, so <laughs> Great <both> options. The- <laughs> Listen, but I don't both- know what to tell you, Tuts. <laughs> tuts. But, and they're also like both, both based on memoirs, which I have not read. And they were conceived to be adapted into movie starring hot young actors. I don't know how hot one of them is considered to be. I think that they're both like yeah. very talented young actors. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. I, I, I own Cherry. I started reading Cherry when it came out. and I know that you do because I've seen pictures of your bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, I couldn't really get into it at the time. I, I wouldn't mind reading it, but well, really, because my I was gonna say like if you couldn't get into it before you read the book, I couldn't imagine then wanting to go back and read it. It was a book that I ignored because it does not feel in my wheelhouse. And from what right. this week taught me, I think that was a, that's. Really <laughs> I mean, I picked it up used at counterfeit or counterpoint books on Franklin for $8, like right when it came out. So anyway, but that's right. We should tell you what we're talking about. Mm. We're talking about, we're talking about two movies. And one of them is from 1995. Again. Again. Going back to 1995, a great year for movies. This maybe, maybe not being one of them is, uh, we're going to be talking about the Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg cult hit, The Basketball Diaries. Yeah. Before coming back to present day, 2021, like literally fucking two months ago barely that for the freshly released tom holland russo brothers joint cherry yeah i actually didn't even know that this movie was out until you watched it you know we were gonna we talked about a little bit last week but yeah we were gonna we were gonna potentially cover hillbilly elegy and you were really hot to cover hillbilly elegy when you were high and watching it i fucked up i should have i should (laughs) and just watched it fresh for this yeah 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 but you couldn't wait no, I couldn't. I don't even you know why I put it bad on. Bad impulse I, control. I think I was just, I was really high and I, I think I was just having a bad day and I was like, you know what? I'm going to put on Hillbilly Elegy. And that would never be my, <laughs> that would never be the adventure that I choose for myself. But I, I mean. It was like morbid curiosity, but then I was like, wow, this is so fucking funny that I couldn't stop watching <laughs> it. And I just My dad really genuinely, sincerely likes it. And then Malcolm and what? Marie? Malcolm is and a, Marie. Malcolm well, and Marie is another really high one. audience score. People. People, people like really it. like it. Oh, yeah. And Hillbilly Elegy technically is an Oscar nominee. It has two Oscar nominations this year. Glenn the, Close, which nobody two. thought she could make it, but she did. <laughs> but Malcolm and Marie did not get anything. You yeah. want to get into Basketball Diaries? Yeah. I don't know any basketball terms. I was going to try to make one. Oh, like dunk, <laughs> but I don't know. Let's, let's, uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's dunk on Leo. This is the life story of Jim Carroll. Novelist, musician, and New York legend. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I want you to have responsibility. I don't want you running around the streets of New York. 
What's this? Jim's secret diary. He's always writing it. Don't you ever touch that again, right? It's private. Have you stolen or cheated your fellow man? Oh, father, you have no idea. Have you engaged in impure deeds? Yeah, but I'm not proud of it. Wake up, Mr. Carroll. It's later than you think. What are you going to tell me? They're vitamins? You think we don't know what you've been doing? And you want to stop. You really do. It's like a dream. You can't stop dreams. Oscar nominee Leonardo DiCaprio. Mark Wahlberg. Bruno Kirby, Lorraine Bracco, and Ernie Hudson in the true story of the death of innocence and the birth of an artist. Basketball Diaries, directed by Scott Calvert. Okay, this is crazy to me too because I was a basic bitch that did have like a Leo poster and like crush for a minute before I discovered <laughs> you know the much more mature refined uh taste of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I just wanted I replaced my like Titanic poster with David Boreanaz and Angel the spin-off absolutely nothing wrong with that yeah so I have never seen this but I knew it and I think most people know it as a movie <laughs> where it's like a gritty Leonardo DiCaprio movie. He gets a blowjob in a train station bathroom That's and right. shoots up in his high school in a sequence. Oh, yeah, there is a sequence. I could not believe this. I eerily predicted the Columbine shootings four years later. I had to Google it because I was like, wait, no, time yeah, wise, so this is off. A lot of, a lot but, of controversy after that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it. So the Basketball Diaries was music video director. Is it Scott Calvert? Yeah, that's an easy one. Why am I? <laughs> it's his you're, debut feature. You're going to be laughing when you hear what happened to Scott Calvert. So. <laughs> oh, wait. Fuck, really? God damn it. Yeah. Anyway, so this poor motherfucker that something bad happened to, it's his debut feature. And it was adapted from a 1979 cult memoir of the same name written by Jim Carroll. I do know what happens to him. The film is updated to 1990s New York while seemingly keeping all the beats and dialogue from the source material where we follow a young Jim, played by Leo, who is the ultimate triple threat, <laughs> a basketball player, poet, and twink. Um, right. Him and his friends, one of which is played by ugh, 1990s rapper turned underwear model turned actor Mark Wahlberg. They spend their days tripping each other in public parks and tormenting hot dark vendors before succumbing to an overnight heroin addiction. Fair enough. <laughs> Jim gets kicked off the basketball team, even though he could easily blackmail his child molester coach, played by Bruno Kirby, who wants to suck every guy's dick on the team. Yeah. Um, and soon enough, Jim and his friends are living on the streets of New York. You you wanted me to say New York. New York. <laughs> Robbing old ladies and breaking into ice cream parlors to steal money because apparently it's the 1950s. Um, well, let's we go get, to the parlor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really it, weird, yeah. They're, they're there's a, little, there's a bunch of little touches like that that we can get into. We get some familiar attic memoir beats like Lorraine Brasco doing her finest New York accent. Is that his mom? Yeah. Some 90s grunge and MTV inspired camera moves before stumbling into the inevitable pseudo inspiring finale. <laughs> yeah. So I skipped this movie because <laughs> I, you know, even a, even a Google search in like 1997, like I could tell that Leo did not look hot in this film. Is, it's crazy how different he looks between this and Romeo and, and Juliet, Romeo which is like Juliet. a year later. I mean, even to Titanic, he really ages pretty rapidly yeah he, he really yeah. develops he, <laughs> i'm gonna start using that with young men yes, <laughs> i'm gonna say it about timothy Chalamet Leo really year. blossomed in 1990 yeah he really came into his own yeah because i mean he's obviously like a really cute kid here and he has really cute kid energy but 
he does he's just like so real thin he looks like a, a kid he's, still. which i was like you know what i miss when like an actor could be that skinny in a movie and be a lead i guess timothy chalamet is the only i was gonna say timothy chalamet. Right now, but like i feel like a lot of the time you know the kid know. from stranger things but they do both have kind of like a gaunt almost like feminine look and i guess leo is pretty but i don't know it's a different yeah. vibe i feel like romeo um, and juliet yeah I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who you know uh, it's not jacks off to it a lot i'm not listen <laughs> it's been a few years but um i feel like that's his sweet spot i feel like that's when he looks the most handsome is oh okay i think he looks really good there i then, absolutely agree with you like he is so magnetic and beautiful in that movie obviously like yeah. he looks great in titanic he's like lit in like also a just basler way knows how to like shoot him and the wardrobe is really yeah incredible the wardrobe is very fucking cool but uh-huh. by the time even that he gets to Man in the Iron Mask and the beach. He is starting the beach to. Beach is when start to take a turn. Yeah. Yeah, and now I think it's kind of leveling out. Where I just think he's like getting into like his like Jack Nicholson. I don't give a fuck phase. Like yeah, young. it's better now. Definitely. Yeah, better it's now. better now. Like he looks pretty good. In Once upon a time, good. but the two thousands were not good. Catch me with your can. Fun movie. He doesn't look great. But yeah, no, I, I like the way he I looks. I feel like now. Catch Me Begin is probably the best he looked in the 2000s, though. I feel like that was like, yeah, he still it was it had a little glimmer of golden era. Yeah, he era. like Spielberg made him drink like a smoothie. <laughs> yeah. And then a body of lies is where things are just like, whoa, buddy. I haven't seen that. I mean, it's not great, but it's him and Russell Crowe and uh, both of them. Those, I think that was the movie for both of them where you were like, damn, these guys are not looking hot. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. Russell Crowe just just gets, you know, larger and larger. And um, the best part of Body of Lies is that Russell Crowe clearly just, you know, asked to have all of his scenes shot in one location where he just kind of walked the same 10 feet back and forth on a cell phone. That's pretty much his entire part. <laughs> you can tell he's getting a real workout there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it now. I'm curious. Like, I'm but I mean, moving. even as like as a teenager that had a crush on DiCaprio you just kind of knew that like if 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 you were crushing on him like this and Gilbert's grave like clearly like maybe weren't your spank bank materials I think I'd even seen Marvin's Room I know I've never seen Marvin's Room I remember Marvin's Room Marvin's Room comes out the next year um so it's the same year as Romeo and Juliet what did he and then he so he's coming up yeah this boy's life that was the that was the big one uh-huh. Well, he did Growing Pains, like, broke him. Right. And but he's adorable like... in Growing Pains. And he also right. plays, like, a down-on-his-luck teen that I think that they find. I don't know why I'm pretending that I don't know these things as fact. Kirk Cameron okay. is a teacher, and he, for sure. Kirk Cameron's his teacher, and he realizes that DiCaprio's character is, like, sleeping in the janitor's closet. <laughs> and then they take the family takes him in as a foster child. Yeah, I mean, so this was, like, a big breakout for Leo. This was, like, even though the movie didn't do well. I mean, it, you know, I guess for the time, for, you know, an independent film, that came out of Sundance it did not great it made it, it you know two and a half million dollars which is not ideal but I'm sure it did well in video and um, was Mark Wahlberg famous at this point he I think he was just known as as a rapper and okay. um I think he was getting into into movies at this point the you know the whole thing of like how him and Leo both they don't appear together again until the departed but right after this was when Leo was offered Dirk Diggler and Boogie Nights and turned it down so he could do Titanic and then Mark Wahlberg took the part so just a little fun trivia there fun okay, facts look at that fun facts yeah they seem like very different people <laughs> <laughs> I am really glad that Mark um, Wahlberg is the, is Dirk Diggler I think he is the better choice for me Dirk too Diggler. 
but I think that he is very fortunate that he committed his hate crimes against Asian people not this year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, no Mark like literally nobody fucking there. cares. No, 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 no. Uh, nobody, nobody gives a shit. Mark Wahlberg, um, yeah, he committed some hate crimes and then he did some rapping and some underwear modeling and then he became a movie star and then now he's super Christian. He has like a million kids, right? He's a million kids. Um, he, he wakes up every day at 2.30 in the morning, um, which is insane. I would That's like when DiCaprio is going to bed with his 22-year-old girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would definitely recommend uh, Googling Mark Wahlberg's uh, daily routine. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, psychotic. Um, Wait, you know what we should do someday? <laughs> is we should do a bonus podcast where we live that life. I don't think I could make it. I don't think that my body would understand what was happening. To I me. know for a fact I could do it, Max. I know you could. I could not go to sleep at 7.30 p.m., wake up at 2.30 a.m., work out. I also don't have a family to have family time with, so you could have family time. I can make my nephews hang out and be yeah, really early. My family yeah. time is, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll go to my dad's and do laundry. You'll rearrange your DVDs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys want to watch me do this? But yeah, so there's a lot of big acting in this movie. A lot of capital A acting. Yeah. Do you... Do you think Leo's good here? Okay, here's my main note about this movie. And this might be the only interesting thing that I have to say about it is like this movie to me is exactly the line between an after school special and then an actual gritty movie. Yeah. All that it does, because it still is like incredibly moralistic and um, yeah. conservative, but it like will show you tits. It's it like it holds where the school special would cut away to commercial. Like you get to see some boobs and you get to see like the blood and you, you like you get to see the gore and boobs, <laughs> but it still has like the same. That's premise. how they pitched the movie. Listen, you're going to see the gore. You're going to see the tits. I mean, because it feels more like that. And then, like, what I kept thinking of was because, like, obviously DiCaprio's character. So, yeah, the other thing that I find, and again, it's based on a memoir, but whatever. The other thing I found curious is that, like, I greatly suspect that Jim Carroll is exaggerating one thing. And it's how good he could have been at basketball. Like, I just don't because, like, that's the other thing about this movie that's, like, really bothersome. It's that like, even though he's like in the middle of his heroin addiction, he's still finding time to like sit down and write this like, you know, prose that's pretty good. It just is sort of unbelievable. And like, I just was trying to imagine like Eo McGregor's character, like in train spotting, like finding the time to hole away and like yeah. Jane Austen write at, at his desk for a while. I mean, I buy that like, you know, when he first starts doing it, he kind of gets that like, you know, electric kind of charge where he's like, oh, fuck. Like I've had yeah. that before with like writing. But like, listen, I, I know some people obviously it's. <clears throat> I would never dispute this. Clearly, many people have written things on cocaine successfully. Yeah. I have never been able to write something on cocaine. I have tried, and I just literally feel like I'm sinking into my chair. I'm like, oh, I, well, yeah, you're not good at, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Again, I don't, I don't want to do this. And well, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, what I found suspicious the entire time is like, I mean, listen, Train Spotting is a much better movie, but. In the narrative of that movie, even though we're able to recognize that, like, our hero's a hero, it doesn't feel like he's necessarily, like, the most together. And what's odd about this movie is that you always kind of have, like, 
the feeling that he's going to be okay because out of his group of idiot friends, he's clearly the not idiot person. And of course, yeah, the whole group is like a type. And like, I mean, like on that end, like obviously I had a very different upbringing. I grew up in LA in the, you know, late 90s and 2000s. And like I had, you know, a group of friends that like did stupid shit and did drugs and fucked around like that. And I had a friend who was kind of like the Wahlberg character in this. And like, you know, he's very believable. I, yeah, I, you know, we'll talk about him. But yeah, I I I don't know if it's a performance, but he feels very believable. Yeah, he's super authentic. And uh, there's something about the way that like, because when I, when it first started, like the first 20 minutes I wrote down I was like when is this supposed to take place I couldn't figure out when it was supposed to take place because I you know Me I saw either, memoirs actually. written in 1978 so clearly this guy's life was in the, you know his youth was in the 70s but there's something even about like even if it was in the 70s there's something about it that still feels like it's almost like the fucking late 50s early 60s where I'm just it like it feels very Bukowski-ish to me and I mean that as a pejorative like it, yeah, I, I don't, don't know but parts of it just honestly felt like stand by me on heroin at times i was just like it is i mean that sounds fun because <laughs> sure. what i kept thinking about and i guess like i owe this to you is that, like there's several scenes where the group of dipshit soon to be heroin addicts are hanging out and i was just like you know what i really want is i want this story from the dumbest person's perspective like that's what i want because like the yeah. story always ends up being told by the survivor who survives like sort of because they are a little yeah. wittier and smarter and i was like i want the story from the dumbest guy in the group and I was like oh maybe that's bully like maybe I like bully even more than I liked it no, and I'm They're serious. They're all the dumbest guy in the group. And yeah, it's, like, it's, like so, so like yeah. whatever I gave Bully as a fire and already, maybe I'm willing to like bump that up because I actually think that what Bully is able to do is like, yeah, it doesn't define this story by like the person who gets to survive and then write about it. Yeah, because I do to, like, think that like memoir. Themselves. Yeah, I do think that like writing your writing your redemption m- memoir yeah. is like the most American. Like the most conservative American story you can tell in a way. Yeah, and it's it, it, the it only helps perpetuate way... a myth of, yes. of this like great American story. And and I also wrote down too. I was like, why does every promising young white guy who became a drug addict at some point in their life think that they need to write a fucking book about their? Experience? I don't know, but I like I, I wish care. that Oprah yelled at all of them, even the ones who didn't make it up. <laughs> like not just James Frain. <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather read the one that's. I, I props to the guy who was like, you know what, I'm gonna ride this wave. <laughs> that is what I felt too. So like that is how. <laughs> I know that I'm not that's a great American I, story some guy who was like that's what I think that's I what I want shit. is like someone who's like working the system but this this movie just constantly made me like drift a little bit yeah well it's and not so it's but not to answer your overall question I don't think that Nicaprio is where he will obviously eventually yeah. end up I think he's like one of the best actors working but I don't think he's bad because it feels like an after school special and he's giving me after I mean, he's, yeah, special. He's, tw- he's 20 in this movie and I thought he was younger because he looks even he younger. looks like 16 he looks really young he's 20 years old when they shoot this and like so you know look it's 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 a it's his one of his first big leading roles it's the 90s he's he's young like I I, I don't fault him for all the choices he makes because he makes some really big choices and the it's not exactly a well-directed movie it's kind of just directed like a fucking silver chair music video and like I would never say that he's bad in this movie because I think he's trying his best the same way that like when I watched beautiful boy a couple years ago I was like I don't blame Timothy Chalamet I was gonna ask you about that I think he's making the choices that like yeah like as somebody who acted in my early 20s like yeah I was like I understand why he's making those choices I don't know if they're the right choices but I you know look I think a lot of actors that age would do them and he's doing his best in spite of the material but like I'm surprised that movie's not rotten but I was just gonna ask is that movie rotten it's (laughs) not I think it's in the 60s but it's, it's not it's not 
good. He really doubles down on the coke mouth in this one. He, when he first, the, that was something I just found really unbelievable. I was like, I, I just don't buy that this kid does coke for the first time. And immediately he's like, I got to fucking take everything in your medicine cabinet right now. Like, that's crazy to me. I mean, it does feel, yeah, like a very serious episode of. Exactly. I'm just like, and this is supposed to be like some authentic portrayal of this guy's life. And his, like, All it does like, is show you boobs and some guy falling off of a building. Well, that was the uh, that was also the first time that scene where he does coke for the first time with those girls. Uh, what are their names? Uh, Mindy and Din- Bindi. <laughs> Fuck I'm are their pretty names? sure <laughs> they're the same girls that are the sweet pie twins, but I forgot to look it up. So they, <laughs> but I do still know the theme song. If you would like, they, no, just <laughs> they were the first. That was the first indication that this movie took place in the '90s, in the present day of when it was shot. Because nope. they look oh, yeah. extremely. I was like, okay, this looks like a girl from 1995. Yes, and you know, do you remember what song they're playing? No, a I mean, great the soundtrack- song comes on the soundtrack. Like one of my favorite songs that I listen to whenever um, I feel anger, but can't get it to myself and go driving. And they play, they play PJ Harvey's Down by the River. I was going to say um, PJ Harvey, yeah. Yeah, it's they, pay yeah. A, they play a PJ Harvey song. And at that point, I was sort of hoping this movie was like going to gear up and get a little cooler. Um, but I, I no. think that honestly, everything past Bindi and Mindy and after his friend um, dies of cancer, dies of leukemia, it gets Michael even more. What, was, what else was he in? Powder? Just kidding. <laughs> Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos. Oh my gosh, that is that guy. There's a few Sopranos peoples in here in, in this in the cast. My first note is, um, which would sound really weird out of context, is throwing up on Big Pussy because the guy that they puke on um, in the beginning is Big Pussy from The Sopranos. Oh. <laughs> no, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Because yeah, yeah. I do kind of like the scene that he takes his friend with cancer that's clearly going to die because of the kind of movie yeah. that it is to go see titties. I kind of like that scene, Listen, but then again, that dying, is, so what they that's another is. scene where the, the, um, you, that the, the, the way that the movie adapts the time period doesn't quite line up. It does feel like seventies, like Times Square, New York. Because of what you were saying, like it's a music video director. It sort of does have like the flourishes of a music video. Like you could make that cool, or you could at least make it like as cool as the craft. You know, like yeah, I'm not, like mean, you it, don't need it, to blow my mind. <laughs> no, but it was like it just had, it had like no. It felt so like kind of lame, and it felt like it felt dated even by like nineteen ninety five terms. Yeah, like but yeah, it does kind of like some of the visual style and in the look of it and everything that was happening with like the soundtrack and like it felt like something that would be on like beavis and butthead's tv that they would be like commenting on while watching it like in an episode like mm-hmm. it just didn't feel and look i'm not saying that like i like i didn't i've never done heroin like i've done other drugs but watching this there was just so many parts where i was like i just don't buy that like like what is this group of friends there's a part where the it feels like it goes on forever where they're just walking around the park like tripping each other like they're fucking 12 year olds in 1954 or something i'm like what is going on here and like they're just like terrorizing the hot dog vendor i'm like why these guys are like complete scumbags before they even become drug addicts so i'm like i really don't like they humiliate Ju- juliette lewis's character um who was a drug oh, yeah. addict and, and i was really shocked that she was in this for two scenes yeah and she's, yeah and she's good she does she's really Juliet good Lewis thing and yeah i just was like i i don't really buy a lot of this even though i know it's supposed to be authentic I, but like i yeah. think that the scene that is 
I mean, it's authentic in the sense that it's adapted from a memoir. It's like the same way that I didn't trust the narrator of Girl Interrupted. I'm just like, right. this is your... Totally. <laughs> you were able to come out of this and, and Exactly. Now and I think that end. those are really suspicious memoirs to write. Like, I guess like the kind of memoir that I like the most is like a slice of time memoir or something about something like so incredibly specific. This does feel like it's supposed to take the temperature of troubled youth today, you know? Right, right. Uh, and it, it's, it's meant to be read yeah. as more universal and not like a memoir that's supposed to be like a specific experience. Those ones always kind of make me mm, suspicious and cringe. But I think that like the the point of the movie that I was like, oh my God, is like <laughs> there is a scene that um, the mom, his mother, has to have like a monologue basically in a mirror that's, right. <laughs> that's like uh, that's edited it's like it's like cross edited between DiCaprio doing drugs and her it's like so it's not painful because she's going through pain or showing pain it's right. painful because it is entirely embarrassing like can you do some of it no <laughs> like so I, I honestly think I might have she's just like, it out of my please head, don't I... let my son <laughs> oh, oh god yeah she's honestly like she gives a very similar have you seen blow with Johnny Depp no so Rachel Griffiths uh, plays Johnny Depp's mom in it, which is a weird thing to say because Rachel Griffiths Wait, I think is probably younger than Johnny Depp. From Six Depp. Feet Under? Yeah, well, it's like she plays, um, she plays, it's weird, her and Ray Liotta play the parents. In flashback? No, but they continue to present day. They just put makeup on him. Liotta's great in it, actually. It's probably one of the best Liotta performances. He's definitely like the highlight of the movie. But Rachel Griffiths plays the mom and she's just like a very dramatic East Coast mother. And her and Lorraine Bracco in this movie, I feel like give almost identical performances where like, I don't know, there's like a part in Blow where the police are like taking Johnny Depp away and the, the neighbors are all looking and Rachel Griffiths is like in her bathrobe with a cigarette and she's like, you know, your son's no prize either. You know, they just give very similarly like oh hysterical God. like New York performances and like, and Lorraine Bracco was like, a, you know, she's a fucking great actress. I think she's doing the best she can. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't actually fault the performance at all. Like I just, I felt so bad for her. Okay, here's what I want to tell you about my experience watching this movie too. So I rent and rented this movie from Movie Madness here in Portland. First of all, I, I don't think I was trying to pick a fight. I was trying to like gently tease because they sep- you're not allowed to use the look it up station because of uh, COVID. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, it's not going to be under the director. It could be under drama, just generic do- drama right. wasn't there. And I was like, it's probably under DiCaprio then. So then- I go to find it under DiCaprio. He doesn't have a section. So then at this point, I'm like, ah, you, yeah, you guys stumped me. Where's Basketball Diaries? And they're like, yeah. you keep it under Wahlberg. Oh, and wow. I was like, excuse me? And I was like, That's why doesn't really DiCaprio weird. have a section if Wahlberg has a section? No, they justified it really well. They were like, because most of DiCaprio's can be filed under a director. But that's not... You can't say that about Mark Wahlberg. And I was like, no. Yeah, you can't find two guns under... Exactly. Do you put two guns under Wahlberg or Denzel, though? I mean, see, I bet that's under Denzel. I mean, they who fucking knows? They probably one in each section. You never know. But also... I it mean, made me want to the, work there for, well, like, the two that, hours a week. That's kind of not true, though, because I feel like Wahlberg did actually go up until... Like 2000, I feel like the fighter was his the last time that he was like, okay, I'm going to fucking work with like a quote unquote auteur director and then fuck it. I'm just going to do Transformers movies, which are technically yeah. Michael Bay. So Michael Bay right. could have a section, but he does, you know, a few David or Russell movies. I think movies. he's just in a lot of movies though, too. He is. I and I, I do think, a lot. You know, look, David O. Russell's David O. Russell. He's a 
fucking asshole. But uh, I think that he understood how to use Mark Wahlberg in a way that nobody else did. Yeah, um, I have a guilty pleasure for a lot of his movies. So. No, I do too. Yeah, okay. look, look, I mean, he's a fucking um, good director. I, I, whatever his personality aside, but like, I think Mark Wahlberg and I Heart Huckabees is a fucking great He's really good. That's probably my favorite Wahlberg performance. He's Besides Boogie Nights, that feels obvious. But yeah. all of which to say is like, so I put this on my DVD player, which I haven't used in like a few months, whatever, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. maybe a month. And it forced me to first watch an Everclear anti-drug commercial that I vividly remember being on MTV. But like it it like it like cracked a weird part of my brain that was like I haven't used in so long as like I remember this commercial. And then where it should allow me to play the feature film. That's what the button said. It first put me through. I swear to God, I didn't even finish it. I just went to scene selection and click number one at some point yeah but like the the central cast just describing the movie and describing their characters before i even saw the movie like oh, i couldn't i, I couldn't totally get out of it we're gonna say first. that they played the rachel lee cook uh anti-drug commercial from the 90s no it was Everclear, which feels... <laughs> yeah, this is hard from Everclear. <laughs> yeah he's like i wasted 12 years of my life now i'm in Everclear. Um, i was like yeah but now you're in ever I, I remember thinking that as like a teenager it's like yeah but you're an Everclear now. Maybe so. you should have stayed on drugs, bro. Um, <laughs> oh, you know what? I've listen, had a I've had an Everclear kind of month in my car, so I really can't. Listen, I've I've jammed out to some Everclear. I think that Santa Monica and I will buy you a new life are two legitimate bangers. <laughs> um, one time recently, I was trying to show those song to to the kids, and uh, they have Siri and they have Google Play, and uh-huh. one of them was playing <laughs> I Will Buy You a New Life, and one of them was playing Santa Monica, and we couldn't get them both to stop, and it was oh wow, That's, it was horrible. But it sounds like it could be a nightmare, actually. Anyway, so like, <laughs> I, so the Everclear commercial really made me ready to watch this movie. I was because I was like in the time period, you know, yeah. it made me wish that like all movies came with like yeah. five well, commercials. Opens with the uh, it's produced by Island Pictures, which you're definitely not going to ever see again. Island Pictures was like right. a record company. Yeah, I was going to say they were, yeah. Watching the cast describe their own characters and they clearly like, it's not like they didn't care, but like some of the tertiary drug addicts were like, yeah, um, so my guy is like on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh-oh. So, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> and I just like, if you were here, I was like, we probably would have watched it all. I mean, I probably would have. How long was it? I don't know. I, it was it was really long. I like, couldn't hour. get out of it. <laughs> they interviewed the uh, the guy who has to suck Leo's dick. Yeah, I'm the guy who uh, sucked uh, Leo's cock in the bathroom. And, you know, well, I, I did a couple guest too. spots after that, but I was happy with the part. <laughs> what it did make quite apparent is that, like, no matter what you can say about, like, DiCaprio's performance in, in this movie, he just has that, like, nonchalant charisma that... Yeah, absolutely. No, he has that He is, it. He he is has so that charming. Right. You know, I'm a pretty big hater of Skull Island or whatever the fuck it's called. I really hate Skull, that movie. Kong Skull Island? <laughs> uh, not Skull Island. Oh, Shutter, Shutter Island. Island. Sorry. I was like, I really don't like in that Kong Skull um, so like, I, I like so, Shutter Island, but I, I, yeah, I know you do. I, I would. Is that rotten? I, I would. Totally I actually, I actually think that Shutter Island and Wolf of Wall Street are his best performances. Wow, yeah. I think Wolf of Wall Street. I think is, he's incredible in Shutter Island. I think he's really good. Like whatever you huh. think about the movie, I think he's really good in it. Yeah. Um, there is a scene, and so Ernie Hudson in this movie. I mean, he is fucking fine in this movie. He's probably like what thirty five. It's a great question. I don't know how. Old and Ernie like Hudson incredibly is. athletic 
super tall, very right. barile. There is a scene where like no, him he's... and Leo are like going toe to toe at basketball and it feels like that Aaron Carter music video. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. It does feel like that. That was, that was one of the scenes where I kind of checked out because I was like, this is weird. Yeah, it, it, it's like it's it, that was one of the strangest things to watch is DiCaprio play basketball against Ernie Hudson. And then also he's like, you think you got what it takes, huh? Yeah. And then also like Ernie, Ernie, Hudson, he's like the person who Ernie Hudson saves. is, by the way, 49 years old in this movie. No. Yeah. Ernie Hudson's older than my dad. It's crazy. Um, in that movie? Yeah, he looks good. Oh, yeah. He looks more than good. And I, I was just like, that that whole scene. And then he like disappears from the movie for DiCaprio to get addicted to drugs, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then at some point, he like finds him and like makes him detox and stuff. And But then he just leaves. Yeah. Which yeah, was because- a weird, it was, that was kind of like poorly, I feel like assembled too. Cause I was like, wait a second. It sometimes felt like there was like a scene missing. Cause all of a sudden then he like looks like horrible again on the street and he's, you know, asking Julia Lewis for money. who's clean now or whatever. And that's when he goes to get the blow job in that <laughs> totally like nightmare, um, union station bathroom. <laughs> that bathroom is like... I don't know who I'm assuming it was the director on like the AD kind of like staged that scene but like you the, he walks into the bathroom there is clearly like a, a a trans person in the corner just kind of like gyrating and dancing by the bathroom mirror and then yeah. there is a cop mm-hmm. talking to somebody that's um, a very music video yeah they're scene, like, like a casual conversation and then you know it's it, it's it basically feels like, like the fat boy slim video for uh or obviously the prodigy video for smack my pitch up i was like, gonna say it kind of seems like he just wandered into the music video of how bizarre <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean pretty much yeah because actually the smack my bitch up video is actually a good video and, and probably being yeah authentic. <laughs> and it's fucking weird and it's not very good because no. <laughs> <laughs> i don't and like i haven't read this book and you know there's so much to read. I don't think I ever will. But yeah. I think that like with both of these things that we're discussing today, but we can talk about this one first, is that like, I think that there could have been a pronounced through line in the film about how the institution, and I think it is pronounced in Cherry, the institution that the hero is already submerged in causes right. them to be more susceptible to addiction. And in like, in this case, like the, the fact that he goes to like a Catholic church that clearly just has like pedophiles working there is really under emphasized. Like that is the actual interesting right. part of this movie is that like, he is actually already a victim of abuse before he probably in some way start, starts like self-medicating with right. drugs. I think that's probably his best uh, part of the movie is his confessional scene. He actually like, me too. He's very much like committed to like, I think the physical and like vocal ticks for like an addict. And I think that's the scene where he actually really nails it. And it's like subtle enough that I think it works really well. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been about four, four months since my last confession. Yes, my son. Well, I don't know where to start, Father. Have you taken the name of Jesus Christ in vain? Yeah. Have you disrespected your mother and father? Uh Uh-huh. Have you stolen or cheated your fellow man? Yeah, but I'm not proud of it. Have you had impure thoughts or engaged in impure deeds? Oh, Father, you have no idea. Is there something else that you want to tell me in your own words? Well, you know, I've, I've done all kinds of crazy shit. Oh, excuse me, Father. Fuck, I'm... 
Christ, I have a dirty mouth. Look, I'm I'm sorry about that. I like I have never been a young man, but I do feel like dudes sometimes at that age and even like even older can sometimes like just not want to talk about the things that are eating at them until it gets to like a punchy place. Yeah. I mean, but- I think that's probably why I had a hard time like with some of my friends when I was growing up. Cause I was like, I just like to talk about my problems. And they were like, I'm going to fucking kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I, I think there's moments that the movie has where it shows like some sort of maybe authentic camaraderie or like portrayal of what's going on. I th- honestly think it's just like a, you probably just needed a director to step in who could actually like be like, okay, if we're going to make it in the 90s, like let's make it be in the fucking 90s. This movie comes out the same year as Kids, another like, you know, authentic right. New York portrayal, which actually is like an authentic portrayal of like kids at that time. So it's just like a movie like this just feels so fucking lame, like coming out, I feel like at the same time as that. And, you know, there was a lot of like 90s drug movies. There was Drugstore Cowboy. And, oh, that one's good. You know, and then there's like the older ones like you know panic in needle park and uh christian f which i think is like the best i mean i, I haven't talk, ever seen that i would definitely recommend christian f it's kind of hard to find i bet you your videos from might have it madness. i bet they might have a copy of it but it's like i mean you can find it i think it's on youtube actually the whole thing it's a german movie from 1981 that's another memoir based on this this young 14 year old girl's life as a heroin addict in germany and it is fucking one of the most upsetting movies i've ever seen in my life the whole movie scored to david bowie though it's really great it's actually the director of body of evidence no yeah that's why it sounds familiar we'd never know it because christian f is like incredible the withdrawal scene in christian f is one of the most upsetting things i've ever seen in my life and leo's good in his withdrawal scene in this like i think he's good he literally looks like he has come on his mouth at one point but other than that it's good yeah they made him very crusty looking <laughs> but yeah i mean there's there's so many better drug addict movies and movies that are actually like true stories about addicts you know and i think that's something that christiane f is more interesting because it, it doesn't feel like they're trying to cast themselves as like a hero and and you know yes. everybody else was you know there's another movie that was kind of it reminded me of that comes out 11 years after this. It's it's not a drug addict movie, but someone's in New York and it's like a 80s set kind of memoir called The Guide to Recognizing Your Saints with Mm-mm, Shia LaBeouf and Channing Tatum and Robert Downey Jr. that I really like. I haven't seen it in a while, so maybe it doesn't hold mm-hmm. up. But Channing Tatum kind of plays the Mark Wahlberg part. He's like the hot-headed friend and he's fucking incredible in it. He's so fucking I see good. that. He's yeah. really good in it. And that was a movie that I really liked, even though it does definitely... It, it has the, like... I came out of this whole thing alive and yeah, like here's my that. story vibe uh-huh. about it. But it does kind of acknowledge that like I left all these people. And the movie is about him wrestling with like, yeah, I got out of this and I have a better life now, but I'm ashamed that I abandoned my family. Oh, okay. And I think that's, okay. an, inter- that's an interesting like kind of conundrum to, to I think present that kind of story with. I sincerely, sincerely think that he like amped up his basketball. Oh, for sure. I just, you know. Career. Like I think he's like maybe good for like the park that he goes to or like good for like yeah Wahlberg, I, like, like, I buy the like Wahlberg is, is a good ball player in this Wahlberg also was like in like incredible shape in this movie and he just looks so much more yeah because you're just like who he is looks this? like what steroids and one of the guy? other friends <laughs> I have a note that like one of the other friends just looks <laughs> I have a note that says this guy looks like Will Forte is making a dumb face <laughs> for the entire <laughs> or if Will Forte if Will Forte played the uh, thirsty coach who was like like, huh, have you been waiting for me? 
<laughs> that is the craziest subplot to me is like this coach who's it, like meets him in the bathroom and it's like also it was he- so crazy that i thought maybe i was misunderstanding something yeah you would think but because <laughs> now coach- that that scene would not be played so like casual no, he like can. So the coach like goes into the bathroom, the locker room when DiCaprio's like uh, getting high. And then he's like, oh, if you, uh, it's like a bad porn setup. It's like even the framing of it feels like porn. You're like, this is bad. And like he comes in, he's like, have you been waiting for me? <laughs> he was like, it's not going to happen. I'm pretty sure. Does he offer him $2? <laughs> oh, I don't know how much money I, I just think he offers him $2 or he offers him a dollar and he was like, come on, well, you want money? And then they like put some money back. And he's like, well, you want more money? And I think he pulls out another dollar. <laughs> He's like, come on, suck my dick. It's like, this guy's offering this kid $2 to suck his dick. Which, look, maybe he did. Maybe because they didn't update anything from the 70s. And the $2 was like, okay, I'll suck your dick. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. This movie's really goofy. Are you there? Yeah. Hi. Hi, Ma. Hi. Hi. I need you to give me like five dollars, like like twenty dollars, something like that, because I'm in some trouble. Ma, do you hear me, Ma? Yeah, I hear you. I I can't help you. Okay, listen, what you gotta do is give me some money, okay? Jim, I can't do that. Why not, Mom? You know I'm I'm not gonna do anything with it. I just need. I need to go out of town for a little while because I got into some trouble and I need some help with it. Okay, so you gotta give me some money, Mom. Can you hold my hand? Yeah, Mom. Mom, can you give me some money, please? Should we talk about the critics for the basketball diaries? Yeah, the weird thing is I'm kind of surprised this is rotten just because, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it would be rotten today, given the beautiful boy is not rotten. Uh, but yeah, this movie has a 45%. It has a 76% audience score. That's all DiCaprio stands. Like. Oh, for sure. Well, look, it is a cult movie, and I liked it when I was a teenager. But yeah, Roger Ebert wrote a really, I think, good review on it, and I kind of agreed with a lot of what he was saying here. Um, so he says, will there ever be a market for a movie about a character who hurries past his drug phase because he can't wait to tell you what he did after he pulled his act together? Probably not. If there's anything more boring than a juicy parable with a moral uh, at the end, it's the moral without the parable. And so The Basketball Diaries <laughs> informs us in great detail that if you get strung out on drugs, you are likely to find yourself living desperately on the streets peddling a body that looks less and less like a goodbye yeah yeah he kind of comments on the direction too he says the problem with scott calvert's film is that the the camera tends to make the experiences too literal jim the hero of the story is so desperately sick and unhappy that the romanticism seems unconvincing he plays basketball at night in the rain after his best friend dies of leukemia and it just looks wet not touching <laughs> does look very wet john there brown, is the... literally a backstreet boys video with oh her. for sure yeah, yeah uh john brown of the washington post said a movie for masochists an unrelentingly ugly just say no propaganda movie it might have been bankrolled by nancy reagan gary kuyim of the san francisco examiner said the film's complete refusal to explore anything beyond jim's collapse and redemption is both sentimental and finally uninteresting and Chris Hicks of Desiree News said, instead of trying to deal with the subject and in some insightful way, the movie settles for exploiting and wallowing in the degradation of the central character's downward spiral. Kenneth Turan of the LA Times said, although it masquerades as a cautionary tale about the horrors of heroin, this epic of teenage angst is more accurately seen as a reverential wallow in the gutter of self-absorption. Oh, well, yeah, I guess all these people kind of are saying. I agree. <laughs> 
And then one last one was uh, one that was written for the 25th anniversary of the movie, which was last year. Uh, so Nick Johnson of Vonnyland said, part of the feeling of cartoonishness, aside from the 90s tendency to over-exaggerate and stylize certain things without any clear aesthetic goals or when just normal realism might have been sufficed, is Calvert's attempt to update what is a very 70s story without changing any of the details. The New York City of the 90s was a very different place than it was 20 years earlier, with most of the problems of that particular moment becoming somewhat hard to believe or rationalize. Like when Jim and his friends rob an old-school soda fountain and candy store somehow in the middle of a rough and tumble New York hood as if they just like, walked onto the set of the diner from Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, that was the craziest part to me because I totally remember that was one of the scenes that I really remembered yeah. from when I first saw it. And then I was like, wait, it's an ice cream parlor? <laughs> Make it sell pogs for Christ's sake. <laughs> We're going to go get some pop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very weird. <laughs> a lot of tragedy kind of tied to this movie, really. That's like oh, all the sorry, buttons in the movie's tragic. I made fun of the dude. <sighs> fucked up. No, Listen, our Alex Zonkis is doing just fine. I looked him up on IG. He's doing great. So I guess there's some rumor that River Phoenix was supposed to play the part and then died. But what happened was, is I guess River Phoenix was a huge fan of the book. And so he kind of was trying to get the movie made, I think, early on in his career mm -hmm. he was right for it and he was the front runner to play the lead but i guess prior to his death he had declined the role yeah to i was gonna say i just feel like where he was at his career when he did pass away was maybe kind of beyond this yeah he said he was too old to play a 15 year old which is true and he was trying to broaden his range with more adult roles i i'm a big fan of his and yeah. i feel like if you watch his movies from really close to when he passed away, he feels so much older than like 23 or 24. Like, I do not think that he would have been right for this part at this time. And then, yeah, um, Jim Carroll, we know he died in 2009. Complications of hepatitis C and he didn't look too well. And Scott Calvert uh, killed himself in 2014, yeah. which is very sad. He only directed one other movie and I've seen it actually. Deuce what is, is it? Wild. You remember that sounds so wild? familiar. Who's in it? Is Johnny Knoxville in that? No. Yeah. No, really? Oh, I got that right. It's a small part in it, but it's Stephen Dorff and Matt Dillon is like greasers in like the 50s. Oh, it kind of sounds... I mean, you had it's me hor It's horrible, Dillon. but it has oh. like a 3%, so I'm sure we can... Whoa, really? It's not a good movie. Who is your MVP for The Basketball Diaries? Is it... Can I pick Juliette Lewis, even though she's only in two scenes? <laughs> of course. Because I actually Juliet think Lewis. that her final scene, even though it is... I think it's one of Leo's worst scenes... I, I think it's still a fucking lot of me. Yeah. It's like, she feels like an actual lived in human body Yeah, where I do not feel like anyone else is really given the material to, and maybe she's just that good. She was she good. So good. young. Yeah. I think she is just that good. Yeah. I'm going to give it to her and our Alex Ankis for <laughs> the requisite <laughs> say, say no to drugs commercial that I had to watch before this movie. And you love local God. You love his Romeo and Juliet. Oh, local song. God is great. No, man. it's so good. It's so good. I, oh, I, yeah, I think local Santa Monica is my favorite than local God. Then I, but I love the local life. God is just, it was written for the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. That's uh, hot. That is yeah. hot. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it to Wahlberg. I actually think Wahlberg's really good in this. I was shocked how I thought he was better than Leo in this. I think he's... Yeah, like, yeah, I think he's better than Leo in this. But again, I think it's because like he is this fucking... But hey, that's hard to he, channel too. I will say not everybody can do that. And I do think that he... I he, mean, I'm glad it was here and not into the face of an Asian man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> an Asian storekeeper. It was a better... Um, I, I think I that his performance think he's very good here, here. Yeah, I mean, listen, this... I think his performance in this could have could have uh, prevented 9-11. <laughs> I think that his performance in this is sort of a precursor to fear. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Final rating. You know, it might be bad and boring. I Yeah, unfortunately, I think it is a cult movie, but I personally, on, in hindsight, find it 
pretty bad and boring. Like I find yeah. my, I found myself just like going to the bathroom without pausing it. Yes, you know? I did a similar thing. Yeah, I was just like, I don't, I don't care. I'm 23 years old and sometimes I wonder if life was wasted on me. I take all the beautiful things to heart till I about die from it. I have this noise in my head. It'll stop. One day it'll go quiet. I don't imagine that anyone goes in for a robbery if they're not in some kind of desperation. I've been at this a while now, and it's no secret what my face looks like. Get on the ground! One thing about robbing banks is you're mostly robbing women, so the last thing you want to be is rude. Ma'am, it's nothing personal. Can you look back to when you met the one you loved the most? remember exactly how it was what you saw in her that made you say yes this is what I came here for sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's gonna happen and it's a nightmare flashing forward 25 years Leo's finally an Oscar winner. Marvel and Disney make up most of the annual box office and movie stars are becoming a thing of the past. Tom Holland is a young British actor whose star has been rising for nearly a decade, culminating in him becoming the third actor to portray Spider-Man this century. Literally within like a 13-year time span. The Russo brothers have gone from the guys who directed Yumi and Dupree in a few uh, Arrested Development episodes to the most prolific directors at Marvel and just extremely, extremely fucking rich. Failed uh, restaurateurs in L.A.? That's right. And now they want to graduate to the next level of their careers, being prestige filmmakers. They enlisted Holland to star as the unnamed protagonist of Nico Walker's 2018 memoir, Cherry. The adaptation follows our protagonist through a five-year saga that saw him go from shy college student to U.S. Army medic to heroin addict to bank robber. Directed with the energy of a Super Bowl commercial, Cherry Ooh. attempts to capture the zeitgeist by touching on the opioid, opioid crisis, PTSD, and the military-industrial complex in between a sprawling love story featuring newcomer Sierra Bravo and a rotating ensemble of eccentric characters like a pop-collar frat bro literally named Pills and Coke, played by Jack Rayner, a.k.a. the horror boyfriend from Midsommar and that's true oh yeah 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 he's also in Detroit okay I, I like Jack Rayner I think he's a good actor me too it just you never like his care like you know his look is very punchable yeah he he's a generic, he knows it but he's good cherry so I cherry. did not know this movie was out I did not know that it was okay I don't think <laughs> a lot of people knew it was out I think that's the, that, that was the problem I think with cherry and it's uh failed Oscar dreams <laughs> I didn't even know what it was about to be perfectly honest well, because it's yeah. about so many things like you went into in the synopsis, like it's about so many things at once because, you know, for what, 30 minutes, it's like a war movie. It's constructed in five acts plus a prologue and an epilogue. I, you know, it clearly intended to be to me like a big sprawling, great American movie. That's the vibe that I get. Can you name Jerry. A movie that you feel like it's well i think it's i think it's trying to like capture the zeitgeist i think it's like we're gonna touch on you know all these timely aspects and it's gonna be really big okay and i think it's because it's almost i think like the uh inevitable point that we've gotten to from like if you go from like scorsese to paul thomas anderson to david l russell to adam mckay 
this is the inevitable yeah. ending point. Well, the narration of this movie though reminds me of like Fight Club, but and, but like it, like it's like Muppet Babies. It's like Fight Club Babies. Like the narration is like intentionally like really disaffected, very monotone. I think it's and kind it, of like I Tonya actually. Oh, okay. Like fourth wall breaking, which is another movie that is like yeah, the next actually. degree of David O. Russell and that vein of like. Yeah, you're movies. right. Because like even though Basketball Diaries, I listened to Bad and Boring, the worst, <laughs> the worst of the worst for us. Yeah. At least I felt kind of like, and maybe because at this point it's 25 years old, so it's also a time capsule. Mm-hmm. I felt sort of like interested in what it was showing me. I really felt disengaged from this movie almost immediately. And it's not because Tom Holland is bad in it. I mean, it's largely because we talked about it last episode. It starts with the Van Morrison song, which is literally- It does literally start with the Van Morrison song, which the yes. Like the Van Morrison's voice- It can only go I, up from hill from, from here. <laughs> I don't know, but like, I think there's more Van Morrison in it. <laughs> I think that he, there's a reprise, uh, but it's like an instrumental, God, I think I is what happens. No, the soundtrack is bad. The music, every time I see movies like this, I'm like, God, maybe I should get a job as a music supervisor because I'm pretty sure I can fucking do this. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> the, there's a lot of opera. It's weird. It feels, it definitely feels like two, like, kind of like boomer, like Gen X, early Gen X guys trying to make a energetic, youthful movie. Yes. They have the recipe for it, but they're just not the guys for it. Is it part of them being wrong for it like having the recipe you know what i mean like isn't there something well, about that's what i mean is like i think the parts are all there to make what it like it's when you hear the story which is i'm assuming the same reason that he nico walker was able to sell his story from prison is that it's a it's a very sexy story like immediately if someone yeah. hears that story they're like oh yeah i could make a movie out of that you hear war you know war veteran you know hero medic or whatever turn heroin addict turn bank robber yeah that's a story you don't you yeah. know what I mean? Like you you gotta work pretty hard to make that not interesting. And I think the problem is that they they don't trust enough in the fact that they already have a very like rip from the headlines, like kind of like sexy story that like yeah. they fucking overcompensate to the point that it's like, guys some of the things that they do with like title overlays like at some point i think it might say fuck stick like it's it's really embarrassing what you said about it being directed with the energy of a super bowl commercial is like maybe what i was searching for the whole i couldn't put my finger on why i didn't like this movie like and again i don't think tom holland's bad in it i think for the first i actually think he's very good in it i I think he's a very good actor i think that he lacks that like chill laid back hot charisma that someone like dicaprio has even when he's not at his best i don't think he's handsome i think he's cute and talented he did a very good job at making him look young when he needed to look young like i think that (laughs) like he looks very young we'll talk about the mustache later okay uh, i was gonna say i I was trying to focus on the positive uh so they did a good job making him look young Um, and he has a very um Youthful. youthful presence yeah which i think is you know he's very think, innocent seeming well i think that's what was weird about watching this movie is like with basketball diaries i have a context of them being young and older and mm-hmm. young mm. at the time you know when they were really young and watching cherry made me feel old in that i was like huh it made me feel old where i was like i feel like i would talk to like a 17 year old right now about this movie and they would be like oh my god this movie fucking rules like this movie's crazy all the I don't style 17 year olds watch this movie I, I don't know. Well, okay, so like I what I'm saying is I think they're watching that, that fucking... I, I'm saying that I think it's like the same way... shit. <laughs> well, I think it's the same way that like 
when we're younger and we discover a new director with this really energetic style or like this kind of crazy flashy style and it feels kind of cool and exciting because you're younger but it's clearly derivative of like you know five other directors that's older oh okay me. okay like, i actually do yeah, yeah it's not as cool to me because i've seen all these other movies and then you have to be that guy and you're like well actually but oh me, okay yeah 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 like how i liked igby goes down for a second yeah, same. You yeah. know what I mean? But I think it's like, but the, to me, it's like the Rooster Brothers lack the, they they lack their own personality that a guy like Paul Tom Sanderson <clears throat> has and, you know, is able to rip off the greats and, you know, the, the Jonathan Demis of the world and the, the Martin Scorsese's and, and still make it his own. And that's what kind of separates, you know, those directors, especially like the 90s directors from the 70s directors that they were inspired by is they found a way, a lot of the more talented ones that endured. Even someone like Oliver Stone, who I dislike. Oh, I he think, has a distinctive. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think this movie actually again, has like, a little bit of an Oliver Stone vibe. That's what I was thinking too. But I, but, but like, it's, it's flaccid. Like at least when Oliver Stone is out there doing his worst, and by that I mean the savages, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, at least it does at least still feel like you're in an Oliver Stone oh, movie yeah. and it at least feels of a piece this sort of feels like three movies mushy together with some connective tissue missing and I think that Tom Holland is very good in this and he's a very good actor but I think that like the script requires him to almost turn too quickly from one character to the next yeah I think he handles it as well as he can but I think that you're right in that yeah, like, an Oliver Stone movie, even if you don't like it, even though I like Spike Lee more, but I think they're both directors who shoot, they kind of just throw it all at the screen, which is what Cherry does, but they, they're talented enough. And I think they're, they're confident enough in what they're, in what they're showing you that even when things are messy, you're like, you know what, this is a mess, but this is very much an Oliver Stone movie. This is very yeah, much a Spike Lee Yeah, because it's like movie. a mess coming from a genius that you want to hear that mess from. Yeah, they I have an authentic feel... personality. Exactly. Regardless like, of, and yeah. like what you were saying about Itanya in this movie, I think that's correct. And like what I like about Itanya is that it's by someone that I think is a good but not great director that was just like willing to like put like be meticulous and put in the work and actually like make something that I think ascends like their actual talent as a director. I mean, maybe I'll be yeah. proved wrong. Maybe they will go on to make 20 great movies and I will eat shit. But yeah. Well, that's Itania how I felt also about Itania mercifully was like, short. This is very long. This is a two and a half hour movie. It doesn't need to be two hours and twenty minutes. It 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 doesn't. It needs to be an hour forty eight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's tough is that like it does have a lot of ground to cover, that's which is true. where you know, and at a you know, hopefully, like when you're adapting something like this, it's like okay, if we're gonna make this two and a half hours and we're gonna really go for it and like put it all up there, like. I mean, we better fucking earn every minute of that. I and think that the war segment could have been much shorter. You know, I think it could have been, but I think that I think the war segment was weirdly the most authentic. Me too. I think it's the best part because they're coming from the problem is that they're coming at the movie like they're making a Marvel movie. But they have this, they, but there's still this thing there where they're like, but no, 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 but we're going to make it like kind of gritty and we're going to make yeah, it. Yeah. And he never gets his superpowers. So I'm just very confused. <laughs> it's, to me, it's like, it reminds me of, it reminds me of Todd Phillips doing like Joker and uh, Michael Bay doing Pain and Gain, where it's like, these are guys that are like, I do studio. I like Pain and Gain. I, I like Pain and Gain a lot more, but. One third. Yeah. I think that this. Like, I really genuinely been... think that for a while I thought I was going to love Pain and Gain. Like. I, I, I wasn't rallying back and forth between disliking and liking it for 30 to 40 minutes. I liked it a lot. And then it goes on for 
Ever. It doesn't know when to end. And I think the problem is that the, and the longer the painting game goes on and I, you know, obviously we're going to cover that movie at, at some point when we do all Michael Bay's movies, but it's, <laughs> it, there, this, it, what's interesting that is, is that, um, <laughs> except for the rock, I mean, we can't do the rock, but other than that, we can do them all. We can do them all. But what's, what's interesting, and I didn't think about that actually until now is the paradox, but it's interesting is that of cher- the paradox of cherry and painting game that's interesting is you have these fucking extremely wealthy studio bred directors that make you know borderline you know jingoistic propaganda and obviously michael bay does that it to a, a blatant degree and the russo brothers are kind of more pawns i think in a system of marvel working with the military so it's fascinating in a way to watch them make what they is kind of an anti-war movie in an anti-capitalist movie but coming from them it's just so inauthentic and i think that was the thing with pain and gain is the more the pain and gain goes on the more the you see that michael bay is just like kind of he's not in control of the and they're both based down. on true stories too it's i think better... that this movie is funnier i will say i think it actually has some funny parts in it but actually maybe it's not but... i know i i think pain and gain because because here's what they have you're right. That's but pain and gain is really good for a third of the movie, and this movie is really good sporadically, and so that causes like it, so it just like is losing its own momentum. All the, like they're they're different right. kinds of disappointing. I think from a performance standpoint, too, this movie is really only a like I'm not saying that everyone is bad in it besides Tom Holland, but the movie is so concerned with just Tom Holland that there doesn't really get to be that much like chemistry or camaraderie between the actors. Where I think that pain and gain does do that right for a while i think that sure. like what is kind of funny is watching those people play out like, play off each other to the point that like the guy that's the boss in pain and gain that's like a more comedic actor is one of the worst parts to me because it's like two in the pocket where it's like funner to watch those three sort of like play absolutely off yeah time. well especially Wahlberg um, and, and the rock playing off of each other that's really what i mean i guess so... i'm not really there for yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no 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 no. i mean i think that though that that's absolutely true and i think that the rock actually i think in that movie is the guy that i think gets the tone the most he's really good in that movie and it really it makes you wish that movie was better because I do think that he is talented and I know that he's really rich and really beloved and I'll probably hate him in a, a year or two when he decides to be like a rep, like the Cal- the governor of California or whatever, like I'll fucking hate his guts. But I will say like, I do think that that could have maybe been a career changing movie. Like if it had been successful, I think that maybe we could have seen him take some bigger risks. Yeah. Cause not- that was really the last time he did something, you know, yeah. uh, that was kind of weird. And, and that's not even that weird, obviously. But no, yeah, I mean, Pain and Gain has the same problem where it's too long and it just keeps going and you're just it really wears you out in a way that like a Michael Bay movie can wear you out. But when it's a satire, it's like, okay, this is an odd combination of feelings. You're right. It's supposed to be sort of like an indictment on a lot of things a lot of things like like the, almost like it's like an indictment on a lot of like a lot of the gears that have brought us to this moment the fact that the family what's the, what's the fucking family's name that like it's finally being kind of punished for making the opioid epidemic worse and etc cetera, etc cetera. Oh, isn't that the sackler yes sackler yeah, yeah yeah so like that story is like actually like that part of the story is actually more pertinent now than it ever was and i don't know that scene where the girlfriend like almost dies is like very upsetting um i i do believe 
I understand their relationship and I think that the relationship is the strongest part of the movie. Yeah, I think I was going to say I because this is the second time I've seen it and I think the love story is actually pretty well developed. I was surprised on the second viewing how much and I think it's because those two are both very good actors and like I had never seen her before. Me either, but I'm excited to see her in more things. She looks fucking great. She looks so young that it actually makes a lot of the scenes more upsetting, but it does when she's so sick when she, yeah. She was like the revelation for me because I was like, who the fuck is this girl? She's fucking good. I don't know if I would nominate her necessarily, but like, yeah, if I had an Oscar ballot, she would probably be the only one that I would be like, huh, would I put her down for something? Except for like, yeah, the movie has good sound or something. But you know, I mean, that. I don't care. Like, because that's, that's the other funny thing about this movie is that like it traffics in three genres, the war film, the addict film, and like the bank robber, the high, like bank robber films. And I like bank robber films and I kind of actively dislike the other two. Like they're just two that don't bring me to the movies. Right. And that is actually the part of this movie that I find like the most unbelievable and artificial feeling. I don't think that they staged the bank robberies well. They're very confusing. They're very confusing because in real life, yeah, the guy was doing this for a year and he robbed a bunch of banks pretty much in the same 10 square mile radius and took him a while to get caught. Obviously, he did not get caught in the way that the movie depicts. Uh, It was not that dramatic. He actually was apparently just stuck uh, in traffic. And that's how he got caught, which is to me funnier. Like, I think so that's funnier because that's like out of sight, you know, like exactly. his car doesn't start. And it's like, and, and I think that's the problem is that the Russos, no matter how well intentioned they are with something like this, are just not the guys to tell this story. But then who is? Like, I have a very obvious pick, like very obvious. And they haven't done anything in recent years that I've really liked. You're going to know. Who? Big Ella. Like, can she come back I and see, like I, somehow make a midway point between her prestige movies and the movies of hers that I think are interesting that are bank robbery movies? You know, like she's done, you know, like she has done war movies and she has done one of the best bank robbery movies ever, Point Break, the movie yeah. I've seen the most. So I'm like, could, could, could that be the person? Well, the that problem, was the only it, director that I could think of. And yeah, it's I, still... It's still think, asking someone to be their younger selves a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I think my first gut obvious answer would be I would love to just see a studio hand the Safties fifty. Million. I knew you were fucking gonna say that. I fucking I mean, knew I you were gonna that say they that. Would've, I fucking I, knew you were gonna me, say that. I'm just that. like, if you're gonna make that's like my first gut, you know, like reaction or reactionary, like, oh yeah, I guess that's the first director that comes to mind is like give those guys fifty million after Uncut Gems and see what they can do with this because yeah. they're good. They've made an, a great addiction movie. They've made a great yeah okay robbery movie. So they've kind of checked all those boxes too, but they also are authentic. Whereas like the Russo brothers are like. I, it's they're so like too, artificial. It just it never rings true. You're just like it has like the humor of like um like a Starburst commercial. Sometimes it feels like it's like trying to be like. I oh, actually like, was surprised how funny I found some of it. Oh, I did not find. I did not laugh once. I scoffed. I thought that <laughs> like I, I think that this movie is smug. Like it, like that's what I will say about Basketball Diaries. Like even though it's like incredibly conservative and self-centered as like I don't find it smug and I I think that this movie is really smug I I really hate that kind of I think it's I think it's smug I think I'm the smartest guy in the room swagger I I don't think that it's smug in the way that something like like um, a Todd Phillips movie is I don't think it ever gets to that level I think the Russos are like well-intentioned enough that I would watch old school over well yeah I mean like more most of his, Russo brother. Know, okay yeah yeah I, look I have no interest in revisiting an Avengers movie or Yumi and Dupree but I, I'm fascinated I mean, by their career trajectory because I'm like these guys yeah yeah 
fucking got like the winning lottery ticket. Well, because at this point too, it's really, and not to say that like every good director will end up making a Marvel movie or a superhero movie, but like the bubble, the lasso of it is becoming like more and more inescapable where like I even have strong opinions at like what I believe to be the best Marvel. I mean, and I have not seen them all. I've only seen a handful, but like, didn't they do Winter Soldier? Um, I believe so. Yeah, they did. Yeah, That's yeah. actually the one that I think I I like the most. That's what I've heard. I've heard a lot of people really like that one. But but it. it's because it's fucking it's a it's it's corny. It's the opposite of this, where it makes something corny a little prestige and classy. It makes something corny an espionage movie. But is, yeah, isn't it them just kind of doing like a Marvel version of like a seventies like political paranoia thriller? One hundred percent. And yeah, and so the, it's like, like they're good at recycling other people's material, essentially. Yeah. So I think like adapting a memoir. <laughs> yeah, I I remember when they got the rights to the book, and I only knew what the book was about, and I was like, huh. That's weird. The fact that this guy wrote, basically this guy, you know, he robbed these banks from um, late 2010 to early 2011. He gets arrested. He gets a very, very short jail sentence. Because that's what I didn't understand either. I was like, how does this guy fucking... No, and I think that's the problem is that the movie is about so much and it throws so much at you that by the end it kind of forgets to... It forgets about another, I think, key part, which is the, the key part that is the kind of unspoken great underlying uh, aspect of good time where it's a white guy constantly evading the law mm-hmm. due to who he is and and that he's just like a white dude who happens to be able to kind of uh slither his way out of these situations and i think good time does a really good job of showing it by showing him doing it at the expense of, of putting innocent black people in his way yeah and, and here the movie's not really particularly interested in and i haven't like i said i haven't read the book so i don't know if the book is interested in it or if he's like in retrospect like looks at what he did is like oh i really you know probably scared the shit out of a lot of people robbing all those banks but the movie doesn't it glosses over how he's able to you know get his life together in jail and then get out of jail so quickly apparently in real life the prosecutor was a also a veteran so so it skirts over a lot that i'm like oh i want to know more about that not what you're showing me necessarily Mm -hmm. it's not even that interesting the bank's not going to fight you over the cash i mean they don't even care it's like taking sand from a beach. <laughs> but it's somebody's money. No, it's the bank's money. Look, do you need the money or do you not need the money? Of course I need the money. All right, well, I can get a lot more if we hit all the tellers, but to hit all the tellers, I need you. But if we're both pulling the robbery, why am I only getting 10%? Because I'm the one doing all the talking and carrying the gun, all right? If you were carrying the gun and threatening all the innocents, it'd be a different story, huh? Give me the gun. No, I'm not gonna give you the gun. But you just said if I had the gun. I don't care what I just said. We're gonna do what we originally agreed. Jesus, can you stop being such a flaming fucking pussy, dude? Is it problematic when a guy like this makes a ton of money off of his crimes? I don't know. Because because like I think that you could also say that it's not him making money off of his crimes it's because it really is only one third at least from the movie standpoint about those things sure and then like also becoming an addict like he became like something that is probably like wait much better in the book and also something similar with basketball diaries that is like completely underdeveloped is that like both of these people become addicts because of like the institutions that they are already embedded in like with him being the army and with jim carroll being the catholic church because his he goes to a religious high school 
high school and he's being fondled and raped. Those things are like sort of underdeveloped. So like, I do think that like, it's yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't fucking care on <laughs> Like he can make his money where he wants to make his money. I wish more people were able to make money. Yeah. I, I guess it's more like it's, it becomes complicated by like, yeah, there's the whole son of but Sam I didn't know that the prosecutor, like the judge, probably, like that's yeah. like that. <laughs> well, I think it's like the whole son of Sam law that came out, you know, after that, where it was, you know, somebody can't uh, profit off of profit their from their time. Yeah. Their, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I guess this didn't fall under that because he because didn't murder. Because too he much. Well, he didn't kill anybody. Um, oh, okay. And obviously, and then that goes into like the history of the mystique around like the bank robber. You know, it's kind right. of like an, uh, you know, classic American tale of like usually about somebody going against, you know, a capitalist system and doing what they have to do to survive. You know, there's like the assassination of Jesse James and Public Enemies, where it's like these real life classic oh, bank God, robbers. Public Enemies, I hate that movie. I like, I like Jesse enemies. James. But, uh, <laughs> but I think it's, you know, those movies are both about guys that were maybe not great human beings, but what they were prosecuted for, what they were maligned for, you know, you know, or how they were looked at was as these, you know, they were looked at as being bad for their crimes, which was, you know, robbing banks, even though what they were doing was just taking from the banks and a lot of the times giving back to the people. And so that is kind of like the narrative that we hear with a lot of bank robbery stories. And so that's why what's frustrating, I think, for me here is that I'm like, this is such a fucking interesting, obviously, it's not even an interesting idea because it really fucking happened. But like, yeah, like this is a person who was like, I don't know what to do with my life. I guess I'll go to the fucking army, which a fucking bunch of people do. I know. All the fucking yeah. time. And then, of course, he comes well, he back joins the like, army because his girlfriend says she's moving to Canada. Yeah. And then he has another friend who's doing it. Um, James Gandolfini's son, Michael Gandolfini, who looks oh. just like him. I know. And he's good. I like him. Um, I, I think all the friends are good. I think Forrest Goodluck, who plays, um, yeah, but really good. Even more than Basketball Diaries, everyone besides the two leads are so in the background. Oh, without a doubt. I think that Jack Rayner actually does a really good job. I I think that the whoever decided on the double pop collar, I thank you because that's <laughs> incredible. Um, <laughs> Incredible. Atten- I mean, listen, unlike the Basketball Diaries, this movie very clearly is in the 2000s. Yeah, it's time specific. <laughs> yeah, except what? the fucking soundtrack. I know. Is like I was like, old fogey bullshit. I know. I was like, it's you like, fucking idiots. Like, you the soundtrack so many thinks it's almost to- fucking famous. Like, I know. I was like, I don't uh, care about this song. Are we going to listen to Man- Tiny Dancer next? Like, Jesus. I know. I'm like, no, play a fucking, he's wearing a Rooney t shirt. Give me a shitty Rooney song. Give I know. Like, be funny about it. Play where's, Maroon 5. Play moves MGMT? like Jagger when he rubs a bank i know like i'm just like i want to know i know that these fucking especially this pop collar motherfucker is definitely listening to chingy and i want yeah to yeah i don't holiday understand. play holiday in yes i don't you know <laughs> no yeah where's jaquan what is going on on this soundtrack I, that's why i was this like this movie feels a little more like calculated than the basketball diaries because like the basketball diaries was that person's like first movie for making music videos this is like they're on autopilot with this material and like that felt more annoying to me like i was more annoyed i don't think they're on autopilot i think they're trying that's the problem is that i think think, it's annoying it's like i think they're over narration (laughs) like as good as tom holland is in the scenes i do not like the way he is asked to clearly read the narration it is so monotone and smug and i don't even think that it's believable that that character would read this way like the character in the movie is a very feeling person he is and i think that and it's funny too because when you see the guy in real life like he's the most like generic looking pasty white dude Uh, oh no i did look at that i've already Uh, did you see who his girlfriend is though no the guy's like dating this fucking super hot like model (laughs) 
I mean, this guy gets out of jail. And it's like, the story checks out. Like his actual life is like what Ben Affleck thought reindeer games. Like, he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Except this guy is not a fucking idiot. <laughs> and guess, again, prove me wrong. What is, what is that guy going to do with his follow-up book? Like maybe it'll be also oh, incredible, yeah. but like the problem with a, me- a memoir as specific as like this or girl interrupted even is that, I, I think that people are really skeptical coming to your second book. Yeah. And also just like, that's your story. It's not like, yeah. you know, if he was like a writer who was like, oh, I guess I'll go to war, you know, but he was already a writer or something like that. I mean, I, I you know, I'm sure he can find something else to fucking write about the guy or he'll be like a consultant on something like the guy who wrote Jarhead is like a consultant on military shows. That's another like. movie that I kept thinking about. I was like, it's crazy that I actually think I find Jarhead a little more engaging. <laughs> I like Jarhead. I'm a fan. Okay. But and it's funny because Jake Gyllenhaal is another, I think Tom Holland actually has more of a Jake Gyllenhaal vibe than a Leo vibe because I think they both have these kind For of sure. boyish voices and uh, not, they don't look necessarily Necessarily boys the way Leo Tom Holland does. doesn't have like a crazy Jake Gyllenhaal has always kind of felt like a wild card. Like sure, he's, Tom he, Holland he, yeah. does feel like a good boy. Like and okay, maybe he I'm seems totally, like he's like a good guy. You're like I'm sure you're like a nice so, kid. He seems like actually wholesome and sweet. Yeah, which is obviously like I think what with him and the Russes, clearly they all were trying to go in a different direction here with and i movie. don't think he doesn't do it i think yeah. that the movie is not very <laughs> yeah i i think that he's possibly miscast and i think that the movie could have maybe either benefited from a definitely from a different director with tom holland That's... or a different actor and a different director yeah uh, you know what give me that little fuck face from uh that archie show give me the ripodel dude like like let, let's see him try I'm not even kidding. Well, it's like, funny because like when you see what he looks like in real life, I think he's probably too old now to play him. But like when you see the guy in real life, it like it makes me think that a guy like Will Poulter, another Midsommar actor, should have played him. Um, oh, who's also yeah, like yeah, in The yeah. Revenant, who's a fucking yeah. incredible actor, another great he's British good. actor. Look, I watched, I I saw Tom Holland in that movie The Impossible when he was like a kid. He's really good in it. And then I watched his Spider-Man movie just on a plane because I needed something to watch, and I was like, "Fuck it," I put it on, and I was pleasantly I've heard he's surprised. Very He's very good in it. He is a good Spider-Man. But yeah, I think it's just like the movie is, you know, the first time I watched it, I was pretty high. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Like, just based on the previews, I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is a really over-directed, like, felt like someone with like ADD, you know, fucking just drank a monster energy drink and was like, ah, yeah, what if we put the camera up here? It's a lot of unmotivated. Sometimes. (laughs) Camera camera movement. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. that The only thing that I did, I actually do think the final bank robbery scene is pretty solid i think that's when the guy's like not there yeah when he turns around i think that's smart yeah yeah i think that that was a good stretch and i think when they're driving around looking for him is pretty solid and i do think jack rayner's really funny when he walks in and just fires off a shot and then just gives him the finger and walks out i thought he looked like a good frat bro douchebag robbing a bank there i don't know yeah you're right it's sporadically good and you're just like oh i think that's what makes it more frustrating Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like, I think that the strongest part is probably the middle section, like the full attic section. It's the most yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Actually, no, the war stuff is good. I just don't care about war movies. I, I have a either. note that's what's the last war movie I liked. And then I, I didn't answer that question for myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think that for me, too, it's weird because, like, I obviously don't like basketball diaries, but something that I at least appreciated about basketball diaries is that it's able to show us the fact that like 
the narrator, your lead is passionate about something before they become, I guess he's passionate about his girlfriend. See, I don't mind that he's, cause I think that that's, that makes like you it harder like- from a dramatic standpoint. I agree. And as a writer who has written things where a character wants nothing and been given feedback where they're like, they just got to want something or I did- make that work. Like young adult is a, is a tricky one to pull off, but young adult pulls it off or it's somebody who doesn't change. They only get young worse. adult is is that that's barely fresh, isn't it? I think so. Maybe. Young adult, I think that like every single second of my life, I tick closer. That movie ticks closer to being one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> it's an incredible like, movie. It's a that movie character. is fucking amazing. It is hard to make a movie where like someone doesn't change. Well, yeah, and I, I don't mind that given that I think it's just you need a good director who understands like and I think you need a director who understands every not every corner of this movie, but like it presents so much to you that it's inevitably going to overlook some really important details or things that you know, we might want to know more about. There was a really interesting article written in The Intercept when the movie came out about the portrayal of the anti-hero, like young white dude robbing banks mm-hmm. and all these people that he's essentially traumatizing while he's doing it. And oh, I think yeah. an interesting thing, and I and I don't think it's a, I don't think the movie needs to go into every bank teller and tell us, you know, like how they felt about it. But at least I think the what it's lacking with the bank robbery section, and I think what you were talking about earlier is that it it's missing that one really fucking great robbery scene where things yeah like set it off has like two of them you know yeah i mean obviously nothing's ever going to touch heat but like it's it's lacking that that scene that is really suspenseful and actually gives you like some sort of character at the bank to kind of latch on to or something like yeah i mean that's what's cool about set it off too is that like it starts with it starts with one of the people that we are able like then the movie follows and she becomes a bank robber right. it starts with her being robbed and how much like it fucks her up and how the bank sort of pins it on her because she like might right. sort of know this person that rage that you feel on behalf of that character puts that movie in motion for you. Like it does so much work. I think that there's a character there's a bank robber there's a sorry a bank teller that is a little more focused featured but i think that ultimately she's like rendered it's like two black women that are consistently or yeah actual like you know kind of character motivation and i guess the whole thing was that in real life one of the women uh, a black woman that he did hold up was uh eight months pregnant and uh suffered a lot of uh ptsd from it had to go to therapy for it look obviously the movie's not going to get into that that's not what the movie is i'm not blaming them for that i don't think that's not a part of the narrative but that's why i mentioned in why it's an easy go-to is someone like the Safties because I think they pay attention to those people in those jobs. You're right. And those little characters that pop up and I think you need a director who is is who knows how to give life to everybody who comes on screen in some in one way or another. And I picked Bigelow because I want someone that can like go genre like because they can just like because I don't because I think this movie is like biting off more than it can chew. Yeah for sure. So that's why I said her. I don't know who thought it was a good, like who thought that the directors of the Avengers were the guys to tackle the military industrial complex and, and uh, the opioid crisis. I have no idea. But I mean, at this, yeah, but like we're living in a world where a fairly brother has an Oscar. <laughs> like, well, look, honestly, you know, like, I don't even, and I look, I think that that's kind of, listen, yeah, it's an easy thing to say is like, oh, a fairly brother has an Oscar, which like, listen, I think Dumb and Dumber is a great fucking movie that easily Right, and we should give that an Oscar. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree. And it's, this, you know, listen, I, and also, I don't even think Green Book is a terrible movie. I just think the idea of Green Book yeah. is, is 
you know, date it. But when you watch it, you're like, yeah, this is a totally well-made, old-fashioned road trip movie. It's fine. Cherry is like, okay, you really, like you said, bet off more than you can chew. And and it does feel very Oscar baity. Somehow is like the energy of, like we said, like a Super Bowl commercial, or like it honestly feels like somebody assembling like a Scorsese reel on Vimeo, like one of those things, like a tutorial <laughs> thing at times. Where I'm like, what? It feels as pathetic as Goldfinch. Like, as far as, like, <laughs> wanting it, like, it really wants it. It's someone that responds to your text, like, that has, like, read alert, alerts on and responds immediately. Like, it is thirsty right. for its Oscar that, I like, it wasn't nominated for, like, anything. It's a frustrating movie. But I, I will say that out of all the recent Oscar, you know, rotten Oscar movies that we kind of considered this time, like, I don't know, for me personally, at least, like, Cherry was the only one that I was like, you know what? I feel like I could maybe get something from Cherry on yeah, the second viewing. Yeah, because you accidentally sold Malcolm and Marie to me by like your angry I mean, listen, you can watch it anytime you want on Netflix. It's, uh... No, I will now. Like I will now, but I had been not watching it. I'd been abstaining so I could like, come in hot, come in fresh. And we picked this one. And that's great. I got to see Leo get his dick sucked. So. He is in a lot of pain in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> that and Michael Fassbender in shame. Both both those, those guys know. hitting rock bottom is getting their dick sucked by a man. I know. Uh, it's like, come on. Your dick is still in someone else's mouth. That's that's bomb. <laughs> Listen, you can still be happy about this. Be grateful. Uh, <laughs> I still love shame, though. Listen, you're still going to get high tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, no, listen, I, I like shame, too. Look, as somebody who's struggling at this point, I'm like, listen, man, if some guy wants to suck my dick and get my movie made, please suck my dick yeah. in the bathroom. I, would, I'll I don't even need dick. a movie made. I don't even care. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, there's obviously the horrible would... side of it that is like, yeah, women being put in these awful yeah. situations. But like, listen... <laughs> I would be the one proposing it to the studio because I could be like, listen, <laughs> I will suck let's you be dick. real here, buddy. I will suck Yeah, no, right everything now. else. <laughs> honestly, like all the work that I do that I'm isn't gonna sucking dick. I'm not going to cancel you. I'm not going to me too. I'm will- I, we can record. I'm willing sucking your dick <laughs> right now. And you write the check. And my life is going to drastically improve after this day. I wouldn't even care if somebody was like, oh, you sucked a dick to get your movie made. I'd be like, you're damn Yeah, right. that's what I mean. I'd just be goddamn like, yeah. right I did. <laughs> And I was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just disappointed in all the times I've sucked dick for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> just to make someone like me better. <laughs> you can't be here with me. That's not your decision to make. Yes, it is my decision. No, it's not your decision yes, to make. It is my de- it's not yes, your decision. It, de- it is not your decision to make. I waited two years for you to come back from that hellhole. Two years, and I stayed with you through so much fucked up shit. And I really don't want to do this alone. Please don't make me do this alone. I'm so sorry. But I can't. I'm not good for you. I'm not good for anything. I have this noise in my head. I can't. So goddamn loud. And I just, I can't make it stop. It'll stop. One day it'll just... It'll go quiet. Can you please just get back on the bus? For me. I'm gonna get high with or without you. Please don't. I'm gonna get high. I'm surprised it's as low as it is. It's a 37%. Yeah, it seems like a solid 58 to 65 percenter to me. David Rooney, The Hollywood Reporter. 
said, A drama that wears its gritty poetry on its sleeve like a macho film school merit badge, trivializing war, trauma, and addiction with its veneration of style over psychological complexity. Walker's story no doubt is grounded in a very real milieu that reflects the grim existence of countless Americans returning from active duty to a country blighted by economic downturn, shrinking opportunity, and substance abuse. But the only reality Cherry reflects with numbing insistence is that of co-directors getting high on their own high style. Thanks a lot, David Rooney. Alonzo Duralde of The Rap said, offers Holland the chance to stretch and expand his talents. Beyond that, however, this is a distressingly familiar tale of trauma and addiction that often plays like a cover version of older, better movies about war and drugs. You're damn a. Dowd of the AV Club said, This is a film with nothing new to say about love, war, trauma, addiction, crime, or America. It blows through these topics on a bender of hyper-stylization, indifferently twisting its true story into the shape of other better movies. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the trend, is that people like, are just like, it, there's yeah. a million other better movies that are just like this. <laughs> Jake Wilson of The Age said, Rather than gener generating excitement, the insistence on momentum at all costs makes the film resemble an endless series of TV commercials strung together. <laughs> oh... Roxana Haddadi of Pajiba said, What an absolute mess of superficially explored <laughs> themes about addiction in America. <laughs> Peter Travers, who's now at ABC, no longer Rolling Stone. ABC's where he belongs. Yeah, Peter Travers said, Tom Holland of Spider-Man fame breathes dramatic fire as a PTSD-afflicted army medic in Iraq who returns home to rob banks to feed his drug habit, but his glossy overlong film is failed Oscar bait that drowns him in a dreary in dreary addiction cliches. K. Austin Collins, who is now at Rolling Stone, thankfully, he said the movie is so overbearingly high on its own fizzy, clever stylishness that it strands the heart of its own story. And it strands otherwise interesting actors like Holland, Sierra Bravo, and Jack Rayner. And then Christy Puchko of Crooked Marquis said, good movies have a runtime, bad movies never end. Cherry is eternal. Wow. Oh, well, I'm really surprised that it's like this because, like, I really didn't like this movie either. And I kind of wonder if it wasn't COVID and people weren't, like, stuck inside, if it would have... I, I don't think... Maybe it wouldn't be fresh, but, like, damn. Like, people are ripping... played them. better on a big screen, though. I will say that. Yeah, me too, me too, me too. I think it needed a theatrical... Like, yeah. I, I sure. They're going hard for this movie as if it's, like, starring Rob Schneider. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it did have some positive reviews. Uh, Perry Nimeroff said, If you want an example of someone delivering big and single-handedly upping the quality of a movie, you have to see Tom Holland's work and share. Anne Hornaday of the Washington Post said, As commendable and even brave as much of Cherry is, it suffers from diminishing returns as it becomes clear that what made Walker's book great wasn't the plot and characters, but the writing itself. Who's your MVP? Sierra Bravo. Same. I think she's incredible in this movie. Yeah, she's very I, I do, And I do think Tom Holland is good at miscast, but Sierra Bravo was by far the revelation of the movie. Um, yeah. Hope she, hope she does more. Final rating. This, have we ever had one where I rate it bad and boring? I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I honestly think that I might have liked Basketball Diaries more just because it's wow, like okay. weirder. I see, Yeah, because it's like messy in a real, it's like actually messy. This is like messy and it, safe. Like, yeah. So yeah, this I, is I like studio engineered messy, but. It, yeah, which is worse to me. So I, I think they're both bad and boring. I honestly don't know what, because I don't think it's boring. And I don't actually think this is a bad I think movie. it's boring. Was invested even when I didn't like it. Okay. But I, a part of me, and I could be wrong on this because maybe I am just getting older and I'm out of touch, but a part of me thinks that this movie could develop a younger fan base that mm. that sees it. Because think about if you saw Basketball Diaries as like our, at our age in 1995, you'd be like, what is this bullshit? Well, you um, know what? The only thing that it really depends on then is the trajectory of Tom Holland's career. Cause I agree Absolutely. with you. Like yeah. if Tom Holland or Sierra Bravo end up being 
you, you like if they become like Laura Dern, if she becomes like Laura Dern, then yes, absolutely. But it, it, but if not, or either one of them, if like if especially if Tom Holland goes on to make three more dramatic performances that maybe don't do well, because right. like that is what made Basketball Diaries maybe fun for me is seeing Mark Wahlberg and DiCaprio as babies. Yeah, I agree with you, sort of. I, I look, I that's I think the best case scenario for this movie is that younger people it's a weird thing to say discover it because i feel like it's weird to even say you can discover a movie a russo brother movie exactly (laughs) yeah Um, but i think it could find some sort of an audience but like i think that the difference between this and basketball diaries is that i think that this movie even if it doesn't fully grasp how much it's throwing at you does still have a lot to talk about because it is timely in its own way and it has interesting aspects to it yeah but that to me feels a little like not i'm not i'm not saying this about the novelist or the memoirist or the memoirist or whatever. <laughs> I'm saying this about like this specific product. Like that's what makes me more mad at it is that it feels right. like a little more engineered to be topical. And so like, I hope that young people, because they do seem, if anything, too smart, <laughs> um, sure. and too knowing. I, I think that they, I think that everyone is able to see this for what it is. And the, right. oh, yeah, but I do agree that like, if Tom Holland becomes like, the next Robert Downey Jr. or something, then sure. Yeah, people will keep returning to it. I mean, I hope he doesn't have to go through. I mean, that's the I fucked up that's thing. That's the thing is, is like, I don't think he's ever going to have a drug. No, problem. I think that he's too sweet fine. of a boy. And I feel like so many of our young actors like are actually like, they have a good head on their shoulders. So, but so I'm like, so then where are you going to get uh, <laughs> all the good ideas from, kids? It's yeah. good to see. I'm mostly kidding. I'm mostly kidding. All right. If you, the audience, also wants to pop their... Oh, fuck, I can't even say it. They're cherry <laughs> and dream these tales of twinks gone bad. You're going to have to, yeah, you're going to have to get creative or go to like a video store or uh, yeah, or eBay, I guess, to get the basketball diaries. But cherry isn't. It's streaming on Apple TV. And I think that they're basically like giving that channel away for this year. So I've just get three- it extensions on my subscription are you kidding for it well i got a phone and then they were like you got it for a year and then they were like hey how about this we're gonna give it to you for five more months and then i just got a computer and they were like take it for another year (laughs) (laughs) i mean i feel like if you give that much fucking money to apple yeah i'm like give me your dumb channel for free that's true that's i can just torrent this so just give it to me come on next week we're taking our listeners forty thousand feet high for some surf (laughs) action bangers from the 90s wesley snipes passenger 57 and God bless us. Con Air, finally. Starring Nicholas Cage. I've never seen either. Oh, God, you are in for a treat with Con Air. This is a childhood classic to me. I adored Con Air. Starring Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich, Ving Rames, Dave Chappelle, and Danny Trejo among Dave Chappelle? Oh yeah, he plays pinball. Oh it's gonna be great and if you want to watch these movies along with us, so you listen to this podcast just like with us, like whatever. As you should. As you should. As Passenger you should. 57 is free with ads on Tubi. Tubi. Does Tubi have an exclamation point or did you no, just put it, it there should. for me? I think Tubi should have an explanation point. Tubi. Yeah, Tubi. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Con Air, you have to like run it from a streaming site. I think I'm going to go back to Movie Madness. I own it on Blu-ray. If you want, you can stop by. I will rent it to you. I got the Blu-ray at, at Best Buy pretty cheap a few years ago. I was just like at Best Buy and I saw, I want to say it was like $5 and I was like, oh my God. Well, I have to have that. Um, the no. way that you buy DVDs is the way that I buy makeup. Like you can convince me at a Sephora that like I need something so easily. Well, 
I need never talk to strangers. I mean, it's not available to stream. <laughs> of course, I'll buy it on eBay from some guy in Ohio. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> I need to. Now, that's when we were getting $600 a week. So I was like, fuck yeah, I can buy that shit. That's a write-off. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we'll also uh, we'll be joined by another first time guest next week, Mason Spetta, oh um, to talk about these sky high thrillers. I'm so excited! I really am so excited. And like every fucking week, please don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, and subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Overcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Boy.